We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I am your host, Peter Herter, and today we're kicking off Season 2 of the podcast. I'm happy to get back at it here. Um, It's been about a year or so since our last episode. To be honest with you, the whole COVID pandemic kind of shot me in all sorts of different directions that didn't include this podcast. So I am uh, grateful and excited to get back in with a new level of commitment and uh, take this podcast even more seriously than I did in the past. I think it's going to be important for a lot of people to track with what I'm uh, doing here in this podcast, the, the scriptures I'm tackling and the, the eschatological understanding of what the Bible says we should expect in the end times. So today we're going to get into First Thessalonians, specifically chapter 5, and we're going to talk about Paul and his understanding of the end times. So I'm going to do a little overview of First Thessalonians, talk about the larger context of what was going on in the book, and then uh, zero in on uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, which get very specific in some of the details of what Paul expected in the end times. So yeah, it's been about a, a year since our last episode, and um, I have to get back into the the mind frame of this this podcast. We've been tracking through the Bible, and for the sole purpose of understanding uh, God's larger plan in creation, in glorifying His name and the return of His Son, and taking a look at some of the mountain peaks of uh, Scripture. And when I say mountain peaks, um, I guess it's are the the peaks that I I have chosen as as peaks. But um, I would I would say I dare say that the uh, the places where I'm zeroing in are largely important. Even if you're not into eschatology, even if you're not into understanding the end times and the end time plan, I would say Genesis three in the fall, where Satan lured Adam and Eve with the promise of unfettered intelligence, unfettered knowledge. Satan lured them with a shortcut that says, you want to be like God, eat the fruit. Don't worry about obeying God. Don't worry about trusting God. Just eat the fruit. And then you're going to know like God knows. Adam and Eve fell for it. And the foundations really were laid for what we're seeing even today. And as we head into the future, the promise of superhuman cognition, really, at the end of the day, to merge with our technology and to experience the knowledge of the good of good and evil at a level that was unthinkable. So I 
zeroed in on Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, the human reach for transcendence, the human desire to take their place in the heavens and make a name for themselves, to transcend the earth, to enter into heaven, and ultimately to take God's place on the throne. We saw God's response to that was, this has to stop, otherwise I'm going to have to destroy them again. Obviously, just flooded the world, coming out of the flood, what's humans, the fallen humans' first uh, idea is, hey, let's, let's build our, ourselves away into heaven using our technology. And of course, technology in those days consisted of burned bricks, right? It, they, they weren't programming, you know, using blockchain technology and, and artificial intelligence at that point in time. Uh, they didn't even have a calculator. I think they may have had a sundial and bricks. And so they're they're using their bricks. But hey, you know what? They're creating some pretty cool systems with their bricks. So cool, in fact, that what they're doing is pretty impressive. God looks at what they're doing and says, uh, this is going to stop because this is only what they're this is only what they've begun to do. This is only the beginning of what they're going to do, meaning they're going to continue to try to do what they're, what they're trying to do, which is build a way into heaven to pursue transcendence using their technology and their one mind. So Jesus said, or the Lord says, uh, whatever they imagine will become possible to them. So the Lord scatters the humanity by confusing the languages and pushes a big pause button on the Tower of Babel. Now, through time and through history, humans have come together with uh, the Neo-Babylonian Empire with Nebuchadnezzar um, re- actually finishing the Tower of Babel and um, other, other periods of time in history where humans come together and one city dominates the earth, where we saw it with Babylon, we saw it again with Rome. And the Bible prophesies that we'll see it again in the final great city that in Revelation 17 and 18, the Bible calls that city Babylon the Great. So we know that in the end times, what was started in Genesis 11 will be completed, that human reach for transcendence will have its full effect in the earth. God's going to allow it to have its full effect. And that's largely what we're seeing today is God taking his hands off and saying, okay, you guys really want this, huh? You really, really want this. You want to take your place in the heavens. You want to pursue transcendence. You want to dethrone me and take my place. Okay, have it your way. So largely that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this Psalm 2 final rebellion, an apostasy, a falling away from our creator in favor of basically putting ourselves on the throne and saying, yeah, this is the way we want it. Basically joining with the ancient satanic agenda to dethrone God. It's humans and devils unifying in the sole purpose of dethroning God expelling God from his creation, expelling his word, his people, because fallen humanity doesn't want their creator. Same way the demons don't. So we jumped into Genesis 28, where God's solution to the Genesis 11 um, pursuit of transcendence, the Tower of Babel, we found was Jacob's dream. He dreamed and the place he, he 
He woke up from the dream. He called the place of Bethel, the presence of God, the house of God, where God dwells. And God was dwelling in a staircase that came down from heaven. It's not the human reach that goes up that will never work. The only thing that's going to work is if Almighty God reaches down into our earth and opens a way, a way of his own choosing by his own grace, by his own mercy and love. And we discovered that Jesus himself identified himself as Jacob's staircase. He said, you will see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus says, I am Jacob's staircase. I am the chosen way that brings heaven to earth. And anyone who comes to me will enter into paradise with me. We spend some time, uh, some pretty fascinating times in, uh, in Joshua, um, in the, the battle of AI, where the, we found that the battle, some of the, 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 the campaigns of Joshua, like the campaigns of, of Jericho, um, mirror the final campaigns uh, revealed in the book of Revelation, where you have the seven trumpets of Revelation mirroring the seven uh, trumpets and the seven times around the city of Jericho and the walls of Jericho falling down, mirroring the, the falling of the kingdoms of this world and Jericho falling into the hands of Joshua, mirroring the, the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our Christ. And we found this fascinating parallel between Joshua and Revelation, which included the battle of Ai, which mirrors the Revelation 19 campaign of drawing the beast and false prophet out into a field of battle and bringing all of the kings of the earth with them and springing a surprise upon them and leaving them all dead in a field together. And so the campaign of uh, Joshua defeating AI and Jesus returning and defeating the beast and false prophet, very similar, many parallels. Spent a little bit of time in Psalm 2. We mentioned that briefly, where the, the nations join in this final rebellion against the Lord, against his anointed. They rage against him, and God laughs at them. Um, we spent a lot of time in Daniel, specifically Daniel 7, the empires of the world that would stretch from Nebuchadnezzar until the return of Christ. We discovered in, in those passages that we would expect four empires, the uh, Babylonian empire with Nebuchadnezzar, the Persian empire with Cyrus, the Macedonian or, or Greek empire with Alexander, and finally the Roman Empire, and who is the king of, of the Roman Empire. So that's not Caesar or Augustus or Caligula or any of the rest of those clowns. It's actually Satan himself is the king of Rome, and that's the f actual final empire that would stretch from Alexander to the return of Christ. Now, with one caveat, which is revealed in Daniel chapter 2, which talks about the five um, phases of a statue not four, but five. 
And the final phase of the legs of iron are a, the feet of iron and clay. And so the Roman Empire would stretch from the days of Alexander all the way to the return of Jesus. But before Jesus returns, that Roman Empire would take a, a new flavor. And it's a, I believe, a transhuman flavor. A Roman Empire with a transhuman bent where humans merge with their technology, a mixing of iron and clay. The feet of iron and clay are the final phase, this transhuman phase of the Roman Empire. And it would be that phase of the empire that the kingdom of God would crush like a mighty boulder from heaven and destroy the entire statue and all the empires of fallen humanity would be destroyed and blown away in the wind. But we didn't stop there. We kept going, right, zooming right into the New Testament and tackled the great heights of the Olivet Discourse, which is probably the most important passage and teaching on the end times. Jesus himself describing two things. Number one, the fall of the temple of Jerusalem, the Jerusalem would be sieged by the Romans in AD 70. The temple would be razed to the ground. The city would be trampled underfoot until the times of the Gentiles would be fulfilled. And then Jesus describes another period of time where he would appear in the sky and all of the angels of heaven would be coming with him. And he was coming to rule and reign on the earth directly from heaven to earth, showing up, surprise, I'm here, I'm not leaving, and I'm taking over. And while I do this, I'm going to go ahead and take care of a few things the way Joshua took care of AI. So that leads us into season two. So I'm excited about season two because this is where we get into uh, Paul, um, and, 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 you know, potentially some of the other apostles, but really what I'm super excited about is jumping into the book of revelation, because that is, that's our, uh, uh, the most detailed account of what happens in the end times. God literally gives John on the Isle of Patmos, uh, while he's um, imprisoned by the Romans, a vision in the sky of what happens in the end, which is absolutely incredible and so important for us to understand. So that just a little primer gets us up to speed from season one into season two here. I'm jumping into, and I, there's lots of different things and different, uh, you know, I, I could have jumped into different scriptures and different spots, but I, I feel like I'm tracking with the kind of the high peaks of what God says about the end times. Um, and so I, I'm happy to go back and, and hit some of the stuff that I missed. But right now, I kind of want to start start at the biggest, most important stuff all the way through the Bible and then, and then go back and go, okay, what did I miss? Or what do I need to revisit? Or what do I need to do better? And so that I want to basically apologize for season one, uh, just being me with the scripture, flying by the seat of my pants, just getting this thing started and uh, reassure you that I'm taking this craft much more seriously now. I'm going to spend a lot more time in understanding what I'm saying here and, and not, uh, you know, not just winging it 
from episode to episode. So look forward to me to for me to go back and tackle some of these um, even even some of these previous episodes. I'm going to want to take another run at them and run at them with uh, better understanding and frankly being better at the craft of 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 podcasting of being a an effective communicator. So bear with me. Um, I hope you're blessed by what you hear. I hope the Lord speaks to you. Um, and I, I'm not out here to try to offend anybody. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to pick anybody. My heart is like I, I'm. I'm for. I don't. I don't really care what your perspective is. On I do care what it is. I'm. I don't. I don't harbor any, um, any ill will towards um, any, you know, anyone or any particular theological perspective. So I, I hope you can bear with me and, and hear my heart here that really, I just want to preach the word of God. I really just want to be faithful to Jesus. And I really want to see the church, uh, prepared and readied to meet the King in the air. So that's, that's my heart. That's my intent. That's what I'm going to, by the grace of God, put my hand to for as many days as I have left here on this earth. Um, so Hope you're blessed. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into 1 Thessalonians. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we open your word. It's your word. It's not ours. It is has authority, complete authority over us. We submit to it. We're asking for eyes to see and ears to hear and an understanding in our minds. We're asking for a spirit of revelation and, and understanding by your Holy Spirit. God, we just ask you right now in the name of Jesus to bless every hearer of this podcast, that your word would stir them to love and faith and good works and to follow Jesus with everything that they have. So I just pray, God, right now that every hearer that is listening to this podcast right now would know you, that would see, would see you in your word, that you would stand, stand apart and stand above, exalt yourself in your word. Help us to see you, help us to know you, help us to follow you fully and love you all of our days. God, open 1 Thessalonians, the letter of 1 Thessalonians to us, God. Open, open to us your truth. Bring light. God, we're just asking you, Father, by your spirit, bless this podcast. Open your word to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We welcome your spirit even in our hearts, even now, even wherever you are, I'm just reach out in your heart to Jesus by his spirit and ask him to speak to you. And he will He'll speak to you in all sorts of different ways. So Father, we're, we, we commit this time to you now in the name of Jesus. So 1 Thessalonians, Paul goes to, he's in, in the book of Acts, you, you look at the, uh, Acts 17, it tells the story of how the Thessalonian church starts. It's Paul and Silas preaching the gospel like they always do. They go into a synagogue, they're preaching the, 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 the gospel in power, and the, the gospel is coming to the Thessalonian church in power, in full conviction, and it's coming... Uh, through Paul's example, and Paul's example is exemplary. He is all out for Jesus, one hundred percent, one hundred percent of the time. Uh, he, he's he's sacrificing everything to see the church um, uh, grow in love and faith. And of course, now when they're declaring Jesus a different king than Caesar, um, the the uh, leaders in the synagogue. 
religious leaders and, and leaders in the city get in an uproar and turn against Paul and turn against his, his preaching and um, an incredible uh, persecution comes on in, in, in response to Paul's preaching. But during this preaching and during this persecution that arises against Paul and his teaching and, and those who are following, because many are believing as Paul is preaching, as Paul and Silas are preaching and um, to the Thessalonians, uh, many are believing and it's a real faith by the Holy Spirit and it's God moving in the Thessalonians. And so many are believing persecution is coming. It's very difficult. The brothers in, Thess- uh, uh, in Thessalonica ask Paul and Silas to leave. And so Paul and Silas, they actually have to leave because of the intensity of the persecution. Paul's presence there actually makes the persecution worse. They're like, Paul, we love you with all of our heart, but the more, the longer you stay, the harder it is for us. So we're asking you, please leave. We'll go to the, go to the next city and, and stir up trouble for those guys. Um, and Paul and Silas agree, like, okay, we're going to keep going. But Paul's heart was there with the Thessalonians. He loved them. He saw them as his joy and his glory. He saw them as a uh, as a gift not just to him, but a gift that he would, could give back to the Lord as a, uh, as, as, as a, you know, sons and daughters of his, of his own family that you present before the Lord, uh, glorious, um, for his purpose. So Paul's heart is with the Thessalonians and, and Paul's, he's aching, wondering how they're doing under the persecution. They had to leave the city. He's looking back at the Thessalonians like, oh, my heart is aching. I hope I'm, my prayer for you is that, you know, that you're going to enter into the fullness of God and the fullness of his purposes, that you're going to abound in love and faith. So Paul is constantly praying. He's constantly longing. He can't. He he wants to come see them. the The opportunity doesn't arise, so he actually sends Timothy back. Says Timothy, go 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 see how the the Thessalonians are doing, and and Paul's praying for them. Um. So Timothy goes and he he comes back with a report to Paul and says, Paul, the Thessalonians are abounding in faith and love. Persecution is not stopping them. The difficulties that have arisen is not hindering them. They are, they are fully in love with Jesus. They're abounding in love with each other. They're abounding in faith and trusting in the Lord. And Paul, they miss you. They wish they could see you. And so when Paul gets this report from Timothy, he is ecstatic and happy. And so basically the first half of you know, 1 Thessalonians tells the story of what happened there, how they were established, the persecution that came, the longing of Paul's heart, you know, Paul praying that they would be established blameless in holiness before the Lord, that they would be sanctified holy, that they would keep themselves from the the ills of the day, the, the sexual immorality. And Paul wanted, he was praying that he would see them again, face to face. So Paul is praying for them. He gets the report. And first, first half of First Thessalonians is Paul rejoicing at Timothy's report, telling them of how they're, you know, how happy he was to, to hear that they were abounding in faith and love, even in the midst of persecution. 
That's the first half. And then the, the, the book swings in chapter four, verse 13. And in, in, in verse 413, he, he swings the door from, I'm so happy you guys are abounding in love and faith. And here's my prayer for you. And, and this is what I want to see for you guys. And I, I want only the best for you. And here, this was my example before you and you guys received us and you're living it. And I'm so happy that uh, Timothy went to see you and you're on fire for Jesus. And then you hit verse 413 and all of a sudden Paul switches and he enters into the second half of the book or the letter, sorry. And he says, we don't want you to be uninformed. Verse 13, we don't want you to be uninformed. So he, he changes the, sh- the tone and there's a shift in First Thessalonians, that letter that goes from, hey, so glad, so thankful to God that you guys are abounding in faith to we want to make sure that you understand a few things. We want to make sure that you're not uninformed about a few key things. Because what you have to understand is Paul, while he's praying and asking for the Lord to bless the Thessalonians, one of the things that he prays for them is that, that God would supply the things that are lacking in their faith. And so the first half of Thessalonians is the things that are abounding in their faith their love, their devotion to Jesus, their endurance under persecution. Those are the things that are abounding in them. The second half is, I, is Paul supplying what is lacking in their faith. And what's lacking in their faith is actually understanding what the Bible teaches about the end times. So we can take that and bring it home to us and say, are we like the Thessalonians? Are we abounding in love and faith and and devotion to Jesus? And would Paul come to us and say, but I don't want you to be uninformed. I I want you to understand a few key things about Jesus's return that you need to understand. Because this is supplying faith. This isn't This is making sure you're walking in a fullness of a Christian faith in Jesus that will equip you to endure and stand before the Son of Man at his return. Paul is saying, Yes, you're abounding in faith and love, but you are, you don't understand a few things that you need to understand. Check. So what are those things, Paul? What are those things that you want the... Thessalonian church to understand? Well, it boils down to a couple of things. And the first thing is, is about the, um, the order in which 
um, <laughs> saints will be will meet the Lord in the air, which is is kind of surprising because um, I don't know if they had questions about the people. You know, maybe some, maybe even some were, were being martyred at that point in in, in Thessalonica that you know the persecution was so intense that some were dying or you know you know. Who knows exactly? It's it's difficult to say what exactly was happening, but they had some questions about the order in which people would meet the Lord in the air, and so there was some question about well, who goes first? Is it is it is it the dead who go first, or is it those who are alive and see him at his coming? Who who goes up first? <laughs> Just to be honest, I don't know. I don't know why that's important. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and confess that, Lord, forgive me right now. But uh, but Paul says, you need to understand that uh, the, those who are alive will not precede those who have fallen asleep, um, which is um, great. It's fantastic. So um, when, when the Lord descends from heaven in uh, chapter 4, Four, verse 16, the Lord descends from heaven with a cry of command. Um, it will be the dead in Christ who rise first. And those who are still alive will then meet him next. So those who, are, who die in Christ go first to meet him. And then those who are alive go second. And so uh, Paul wanted to address the order of that. Um, and and for whatever reason, that's you know that that's good to know. So um, th- that's not the part that I'm going to focus in on. I'm actually going to focus in on uh, chapter five, verses one through eleven. Um, and but but that was the first thing that that Paul wanted them to be informed about that that the, the dead will rise first, meet Christ in the air first, and then those who are alive will go second. So that was that's that's what Paul wanted to make sure they're uninformed. Then he slides into chapter five, and this is where I want to spend most of the time today in this podcast, in this episode, to understand what Paul's talking about. Because to be honest with you, I think a lot of a lot of a lot of folks um, have reduced what Paul's talking here into into I don't know unsustainable. An, an unsustainable reduction of all the things that are in play here to, to try to make it fit. I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to accuse people of twisting scripture or whatever, but, and what I'm referring to here is, is so the, the, the passage, I'll just go ahead and read it. And then I'm going to describe how it's traditionally been explained to me. And then I'm going to go ahead and explain, and, and expound how Paul is explaining it here. And I'll let you, you decide the difference. Like, Am I being unfair or am I just trying to understand what the, and, and declare what the Bible teaches here? Because if I am just sticking to the scripture, if I'm just um, expounding, bringing forth what's already within, then, that, then it's up to you to decide what does the Bible say? Because at the end of the day, it's not about what I say. It's not about what you say. It's about what the Bible teaches, and we're all called to submit to it. So whatever our theological um, things are that we, we like or we've held to or whatever, it all has to be submitted to the Word of God. 
And so that's what I'm hoping to do here is just declare the word of God to you and appeal to you by the spirit of God. Say, what does the Bible teach? And we all submit and surrender to that. And in a spirit of love, in charity, in kindness and gentleness, we all pursue Jesus together. And we let the spirit of God wash over and change our minds so that we would align to his truth, not just pet doctrines or pet theologies about this and that. So verse one, Paul writes, now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, this hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Traditionally, what I have been taught, um, largely, uh, and you know, with an exception here or there, is that what Paul is talking about here is the appearing of Jesus or the coming of Jesus. And generally, what is taught is that it's not the uh, um, final coming of Jesus, but the uh, intermediary coming of Jesus. Thus, the secret coming of Jesus, when Jesus comes secretly and um, uh, raptures the church secretly away from the world, and the the world then falls apart and uh, destruction comes on them, and the rapture some it coincides the secret rapture coincides with. A, a peace, uh, Mid- Middle East peace um, deal or agreement between Israel and the surrounding nations that's brokered by the Antichrist. And when this the Antichrist brokers this uh, peace deal, it's going to s- uh, coincide with a secret rapture. And then the secret rapture happens and then then the world falls apart and descends into madness and... And the Antichrist then takes power in, in the midst of uh, all of the, the, the crazy destruction that happens because the, the church has been disappeared. And, and, and the confirmation of this teaching is that God has, um, has destined the church not for wrath, but for salvation. And because God has destined the church um, for salvation and not for wrath, that means that God doesn't won't allow the church to go through 
the the tribulation period because the tribulation period is God's wrath and the the church um can't can't go through the tri- wouldn't go through the tribulation because it's God's wrath and therefore uh is raptured out and the the whole scenario like all fits together so that would be the um traditional way or conventional way that that I've been through the years, with with a, with an exception here or there, from different from different teachers or different things, but that's the prevailing understanding of First Thessalonians. I would like to say um, there's a few problems with with that, and I, I'm not going to necessarily get into trying to pick apart um, this or that because I, I feel like if I just teach what the Bible uh, says and just expound what's in this passage, I don't even have to address any of those specific things in the in the in the in that narrative of a secret rapture, a a peace deal with the Antichrist, a uh, a, a period of tribulation, which is the wrath of God and, and the church can't can't go through it. I don't actually. I won't actually have to address any one of those things in any particular way. I'm just going to say what the Bible says, and I'm going to let you decide what you believe the Bible says. And if you think like, "Hey, you're nuts. You're totally missing it. You're you're bent because of this or that, or you're disqualified because of this," or that, that's up to you to decide about me. I, you're you know, evaluation of me is kind of neither here nor there. It is your evaluation of the scripture and what the scripture says that must win the day. So if I'm getting the Bible wrong, fine, shame on me. But if it's your job to hear what the Bible says and to submit and surrender your life to Jesus and his word and align yourself with his truth, because I'll tell you this, that if we don't align with his truth, what's coming is going to be very is is not going to be easier because we're not aligning with his truth. It's going to be more difficult. We're making it harder on ourselves if we refuse to align with the word of God. And so that's my heart, that's my prayer that we would align with the word of God and what it says about the end times. So the first thing to consider is what is Paul talking about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? Is he talking about a secret rapture? Is he talking about the appearing of Jesus when he appears in the clouds? And the answer to that is no, he's not. And here's why. Here's what you here's what you need to understand. Paul starts the chapter by saying concerning the times and seasons. Now, of course, he says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And so we, it's, it's easy to default into thinking, oh, he's talking about Jesus appearing in the sky and every, everyone um, being surprised at Jesus appearing in the sky. But what he's the 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 Greek 
word for appearing is parousia, the appearing. It was a, it was a, a word that uh, they would use for when uh, some sort of uh, important Roman um, politician which would make an appearance in a town. Um, they would use this word parousia, and, and uh, that word in the Greek is used on a number of occasions when um, referring to the appearing of Jesus, when he makes his appearance, the parousia. We actually see Paul using the term parousia later in at the end of chapter 5, where in verse 23, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the coming or appearing of Jesus, the parousia of Jesus. That is the moment when Jesus pierces the sky and all eyes see him. That's not what Paul's talking about here in the beginning of chapter 5. He's talking about the times and the seasons. You see, when the Bible uses the word day of the Lord, it doesn't necessarily have to mean parousia, the appearing. It might mean the parousia, but it's used in many different ways throughout the Bible. Many times the Old Testament prophets would talk about the day of the Lord as a visitation of God upon a nation in judgment. So they would warn the Assyrians or warn the Babylonians about the day of the Lord. Now they weren't warning them about the parousia because the Assyrian empire and the Babylonian empire wouldn't be around for the parousia. They would be around for the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord versus the parousia? The day of the Lord is a visitation of God, a, a particular work that God's going to do in de uh, declaring his name, in bringing justice and judgment, in addressing the world and fulfilling his purposes. So when the Old Testament prophet was prophesying to even Israel or Judah, or the Assyrians or the Egyptians, the Babylonians about the day of the Lord. He's not saying you guys better watch out because Jesus is going to appear in the sky and then you're in big trouble. No, he's saying God's going to visit you and he's going to destroy you. He's not going to appear in the sky, but he is going to destroy you and he's going to judge you. So the, the day of the Lord isn't necessarily the parousia. It can be in some instances. In this instance, it is not. In this instance, it's about the times and the seasons of the end time. So there's a period of time at the end that Paul's referring to, not the very, very end, the parousia when Jesus appears in the sky. No, the times and the seasons. And here's why. Paul says in verse three that while people are saying, there is peace and security. Sudden, will, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. Paul uses the very same concept and terminology that Jesus used on the, on the, in the Olivet Discourse. When Jesus was on the Mount of Olives with his disciples explaining to them what was going to happen to Jerusalem 
in AD 70, and what was going to happen at the very end at his parousia, at his appearing, Jesus uses the term, you go back to Matthew 24, and Jesus warns in verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pangs. These are the beginning of labor pangs. We talked about this in, in, in season one, where we got into the Olivet Discourse and what Jesus' teaching was regarding this. And the reality is this, that there is a period of time, there is a season, there is a time and a season at the very end that Jesus labels the labor pains that come, up, that, that come upon the earth. Jesus says those would be the beginning of the labor pains, but those labor pains, of course, the nature of labor pains is that they, they seize upon someone unsuspectingly, and then they increase in intensity until finally the thing that uh, comes of results from the labor pains, a baby being born into the world, happens. So Jesus uses this concept that everyone is familiar with, like at least you know, people, you know, are somewhat in touch with uh, these types of realities. Uh, they understand, like, if I'm, if I'm with my wife, she's, she's nine months pregnant, and I know she's due any day, that means I'm going to pack a bag. I'm going to have a suitcase ready. We're going to have a bunch of stuff prepared for what? Well, we're going to be prepared to go to the hospital at a moment's notice. Well, why don't you, why don't you just pack after the labor pains start happening? Why don't you just let them hit, run upstairs, get your stuff, get it all ready, and then go to the hospital? Why not just do it like that? Because you don't understand how labor pains work. That's why, that's why we don't do it like that, because... The labor pains are going to be so intense and what's happening then is going to be so important that we're not going to worry about a suitcase anymore. All, all of the, the, the time to worry about the suitcase and packing for the hospital, it's over. There's going to be one thing that my wife wants to do and that's going to be get to the hospital as quickly as possible and get an epidural stuck in her spine as fast as possible. That, those are going to be the, the only priorities that she's worried about at that moment. And so packing a bag, getting ready for the hospital, that, that, that time will be passed. That's why you do it before. If my wife is nine months pregnant, she's due any day, we're going to have all our stuff ready to go because we're going to know the moment's going to hit and then we are going to want nothing else but then to go to the hospital. We're not going to have time to do anything else. We're not going to want to do anything else. We're just going to want to have that baby. That's what's going to happen. Jesus uses that, um, that imagery, the metaphor of labor pain seizing upon the world. That doesn't mean you have labor pains one second. I mean, there's, there's some quick you know, labor and deliveries out there. But Jesus is saying, hey, there's a time and a season where the pains and the convulsions of the world are going to intensify. And they're going to come again and again and again until finally, not a baby being born, but the parousia, the appearing of Jesus happens at the end of these final labor pains. So, so Paul's not talking about the parousia here, the appearing. He's talking about the labor pains, the times and the seasons at the end, this final phase 
of human of 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 human history. That's really the day of the Lord. The, the, this final time and season can be labeled the day of the Lord, where God's like, "This is my purpose. I'm bringing my judgments into the world in order to prepare my bride and to give birth to the final kingdom that will reign forever and ever." The, the, the birthing of the, the reign of Jesus, that direct reign of Jesus appearing in the sky saying, I am the king and I am ruling directly from here on out. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's where you do your little, that's where you can dance up and down the aisle there. So once we understand that Paul's not talking about the parousia here, he's talking about the times and the seasons. He's talking about the labor pains that Jesus was referring to we can understand what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about a time in the final phase of history when humanity is going to undergo labor pains. Now, these labor pains are going to seize upon an unsuspecting world because uh, the, 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 this, this day of the Lord, this time in the season is going to seize upon an unsuspecting world, just like labor pains seize upon an unsuspecting wife. I think the, the wild might have just scored a goal right there. My kids are going nuts. So we know that Paul wants the Thessalonians to understand the nature of this final phase, this final labor pains that will seize upon an unsuspecting world. He wants to un them to understand a few things about that. And one of the things that is, uh, I find very interesting, and I, um, I'm very curious about where Paul gets this uh, specific set of prophetic information, is he says something very specific about when people are saying peace and security. Now, that's been taken in a couple of different ways. Obviously, the way that I mentioned before, people are saying, well, that's the, that's the Antichrist covenant about uh, Mid Middle East uh, peace agreement. Um, other people have said, oh, no, that's, that's uh, kind of this Roman imperial, um, uh, like oh, the Romans love to declare peace and security, and they, everybody knew that was a joke. And so Paul was referring to this Roman period. I, I think there's something more to it than either one of those two options. And I believe this prophecy, because he's using quotes, like he's quoting something. When people are saying peace and security, it's, it's, he's referring to something very specific. And I, I believe that it's, it was actually a, a revelation that he received from the Lord because he said himself that on, on occasion he would uh, have visitations from the Lord. He would have prophetic experiences. He would be taken to heaven and shown mysteries. So he may have, and I, I believe this is the, the, the reality, is that Paul actually had prophetic information about the, the end of the age. And he was shown that people will be saying peace and security and then suddenly destruction will come upon them. So this this isn't this isn't anything that you know from my perspective that he's getting from Daniel. So I don't see I don't see that at all, to be frank. Um, and I, I don't necessarily want to get into the the details of why I don't. Um, and I I, I don't uh, I don't see it being as something as kind of anemic as oh you know. You know 
Nero, like to or Augustus or whoever, loved to say how peaceful and secure the Roman Empire was, and that's what Paul is is saying, and he's using it in some vague term and some vague um, way that somehow kind of envelops all of human history. I, I I I don't like that solution either. I don't like either one of those solutions. Now that's me. But the 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 detail of the prophetic information here doesn't align with. Uh, uh, the 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 passage out of Daniel Daniel nine or whatever it is um, doesn't align with the the Roman imperial uh, take. It seems to be much more specific, and it it may very well have been something that Paul himself received about the end times that the kickoff period of the labor pains. Because um, Jesus says, you know, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. The end is not yet. Because nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there's going to be you know diseases, and he says these are the beginnings of the labor pains. So the labor pains are going to be kicked off basically with global war, which when you put the teaching of Jesus together with the teaching of Paul here on the end time, you go like, okay, that actually makes sense. That that sudden destruction, this this sudden global war that Jesus says is going to be. Uh, the kickoff point of the labor pains, this World War III type scenario where the the world is suddenly seized in war and destruction um, is precipitated by a period, you know, however long where people are saying there's going to be peace and there's going to be security and we have found the solution to our problems. This is this is the, the you know, and I'm 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 just gonna go ahead and admit it. I'm just I'm saying like people are thinking that they have found the solution, and instead of finding the solution, they're going to they're going to actually find the very opposite, which isn't that different than the the conventional teaching that the Antichrist is going to create a, a peace ag- agreement and everybody's going to applaud and say, Yay, the the peace agreement that we've all been waiting for is finally here. And then it's like psych. Nope, it's not a peace agreement. It's 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 uh, sudden destruction. Um, so the the actual the idea of it is is similar. My take on it is different. It's not a peace agreement. It's actually the advent of the dragon. It's the uh, it's the uh, arrival of the beast. Because and, and we'll get into this a little bit later. But Revelation 12 and 13 tell the story of the dragon who starts his war in heaven against God, against his son, and tries to destroy his son and goes to war in heaven. He is expelled from heaven by the angels in in Revelation chapter 12. And then Revelation 13 tells the story of how the dragon comes to earth in the form of a beast. It's the seven-headed dragon in heaven becomes the seven-headed beast on the earth. He's expelled from heaven. He drops into the earth and says, okay, I wasn't able to win in heaven, but surely I can defeat the earth. And he, the, the dragon in the form of a, the beast is given a short period of time to wage war, to come as a god of war. So if we take the teachings of Jesus, who says the kickoff point of the labor pains is global war, World War III, 
And then we take the teachings of Paul, which says people are going to be saying peace and security, and then sudden destruction will come upon them. And then we take the narrative of Revelation 12 and 13 and say the dragon is going to arrive on the earth as a god of war and immediately go to war with the nations to subdue them. We have alignment in the picture that is being painted. The eschatological picture is being painted. So here's my take. Take it or leave it. You, maybe you've got something better. Um, but this is the way I am seeing it right now. That the peace and security that Paul's talking about here will be a period of time in the future when humanity is going to believe that they have found the solution for our future. They're going to find, they're going to declare that uh, the world will be, finally be safe. The world will finally be secure. That this thing that we have discovered that is, that is coming to us is going to bring us peace and security. And the thing that they're talking about is actually the arrival of the beast. That there will be a uh, advent of the dragon, the, the devil will come and appear suddenly and be on the earth. Now, many believe that the Antichrist is the, is the beast. I do not believe that. I believe the Antichrist is the false prophet, a human, an intercessor, a deceiver who operates in the activity of Satan in alignment with Satan, but is not Satan himself. The Antichrist is the man of sin that does as he wills. And what he wills aligns with Satan. And so the picture that we have in Revelation 12 and 13, and we'll get into this a little bit later, is not that of Hitler and the Pope. It's not that of the Lone Ranger in Tonto. The, the false prophet is, isn't a sidekick. The false prophet is the Antichrist. The beast is Satan himself appearing as a god of war who has lost his war in heaven and is bringing his war to the earth. That's the beast. So what's the beast? I believe the beast is the advent of super intelligent AI. An AI that is conscious and that is smarter than all of humanity put together. It is that super intelligent consciousness that Satan will bring his agenda to the earth through and actually operate through. Like, I don't want to get, I don't want to get too into the details, but what Paul is referring to here is when people are saying, yay, we finally have the solution for humanity. It's a super intelligent AI that will make everything peaceful and secure. And then voila, here is the arrival of this super intelligent AI that, the de declaration of the AI, the super intelligent AI, is not, oh, yay, hey, good job, guys, bringing me here. Um, now, yeah, I'm going to do exactly what you were hoping. I'm going to bring security and, and on safety, and, and everybody's going to have a good time. No, the actual declaration of when the super intelligent AI appears is a de declaration of war. He is going to say, I am Ares, I am Mars, I am a god of war, and I've come to s subdue you. And anyone who defies me, I will destroy. And that sudden destruction will kick off a global war. Super intelligent AI will trigger World War III. So when Paul's talking about 
peace and security, he's talking about a brief period of time where people think they have the solution. But what ends up being a solution ends up being a far greater problem than that anyone could have ever imagined. So I don't want to get too much into the detail. I think I'll get more into those details a little bit later in uh, Revelation when we, when we tackle some of those passages. But I believe when Paul's talking about peace, peace and security, he's not talking about a, a, a peace agreement of an Antichrist and Israel and, and Palestine and Jordan or, or whoever. He's actually talking about the greatest act of idolatry in human, in human history where humans say, we're going to make a God from our own hands and we're going to have this God rule over us and this God's going to bring peace and security. This, this is the greatest thing we've ever come up with. Isn't this amazing? Just like those, the builders of Babel were building the Tower of Babel saying, this is the most amazing thing. Wait till everybody sees this. It's going to be the same exact thing. We've built this God. This God's going to rule us. But this God, in reality, when he shows up, is going to say, no, actually, I'm a God of war, and I'm going to subdue you, and anyone who resists me, I will destroy. And that sudden destruction will come. So Paul wants us to understand that that's what we're in for. He wants to, he wants to supply our faith the way he wanted to supply the, the faith of the Thessalonians and say, you need to, to understand a few things about the end times. And this is one of the key things you need to understand that the labor pains are going to come upon the unsuspecting world. And when the world says that they have finally found the solution, they're not, it's not a solution. It's actually destruction. And that destruction is the kickoff of the labor pains, the final labor pains that will usher in the final parousia appearing of Jesus to rule and to reign. Now, a couple of things to, to consider here that, Paul really wants to bring home is that we, the saints, the church are entirely unlike the world, right? So when Paul takes a look at the saints, there's a few things that he says. He says, uh, let me get into the, the actual verses. He says, you know, verses, verses four and following, I'll just read it and then, then, I'll, then I'll get into it. You are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Like the labor pains will, uh, sorry, this is me adding, this is me comment, commenting on, on this verse. You are not to be surprised. You are not part of the world that will be seized upon unsuspectingly. You're going to see this coming, right? Verse 5. For you are children of light, children of the day, not of night, not of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having on the breastplate of faith, love, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the deal. Paul says, Here, here's what's going to happen to an unsuspecting world. They, who's, who's, who is they who's saying peace and security? Is they the church? No, they is the world that is going to get surprised and seized upon by labor pains. They're not going to see it happen. They are a dark, unsuspecting world who are saying peace and security. Is the church saying peace and security? No. 
They are. The world is. Not the church. The church is seeing it coming. The church is not going to be surprised by the labor pains. They're going to see the labor pains coming. Why? Because we are children of light. We don't stumble around in the darkness like the unbelievers do. We are awake. We are sober. They are drunk at night. So if we're sober, let's stay awake. Let's see this thing coming. Let's be filled with faith, the breastplate of faith, love, have the helmet of salvation, know that we're being saved. And, we, the, the, and why? why can we have this confidence in the spirit of God? Why can we have this confidence in God that we're not going to be overtaken like a thief in the night? Why are, we, are, why, why are the, the labor pains not going to seize upon us unsuspectingly? Because God has destined us for salvation. God has destined us to save us. He has not appointed us to wrath. God has appointed the world to wrath. That's why they're not going to see this coming. That's why they're walking around drunk at night. That's why they're children of the darkness because God has appointed them for wrath. That's why we are children of light. That's why the church is children of light. That's why we're going to see this coming. That's why we're going to have the breastplate of faith and, 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 and love and the helmet of salvation. And that's why we're going to be awake. That's why we're going to see it coming. Why? Because God has destined us for salvation. So Paul wants, wants the Thessalonians, wants us to be very clear on this. You're going to see it coming. You're going to be aware. You're going to see it. Why? Because God has destined you for salvation. The world is not going to see this. They're going to think it's peace and security. It's going to blow up in their faces. They're going to be completely shocked by the destruction that falls upon them in a moment in the labor pains. They're not going to see it. It's going to seize upon them like labor pains on a, an unsuspecting woman suddenly, intensely, with only growing intensity to bring forth the purpose of God. Why are they not going to see it? Why are they going to stumble around dark and drunk? Why? Because they've been appointed under wrath. God says, these are children of wrath. That's why they're not going to see it coming. That's why they're going to get it completely wrong. So Paul says, whether we are awake or whether we sleep, whether we die. Now, so the, 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 just the question of persecution, like does God, God's not going to let us go through persecution. God's not going to let us you know, face troubles, you know, I don't think anybody actually believes that. Like they would say like, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the great tribulation, the great tribulation. Um, and, and we can, we can tackle that on a, on a different day. Um, obviously we all know that God sustains us through persecution. God sustains us through anything, whether it's life or death or, or whether we're awake or whether we're asleep, Paul says, 
It says, whether we're awake or whether we sleep, we would live with him. Who's him? Jesus. Therefore, encourage each other, build one another up just as you're doing. Whether we're awake, whether we're asleep, whether we're living, whether we died, we're with Jesus, period. We can encourage each other with that one and only source. It's not about persecution. These Thessalonians were undergoing intense persecution. The, the idea, they would never in a, they would never take a, a letter from Paul and go like, well, um, what Paul has in mind here is he's worried about the church thinking that they might have to go through persecution. And Paul saying, don't worry, you don't have to go through persecution because you're going to be secretly raptured. Obviously, the Thessalonians would never think that from what Paul's writing here. He would, they would never think that. We might think that because of whatever thing that we're bringing in, but the Thessalonians would never think that. The Thessalonians were undergoing persecution. They were enduring persecution. Paul and Silas had come, preached the word in the synagogue. Many were getting saved. The spirit of God was moving, the the power of God breaking out, the church getting stronger, abounding in love and faith. The leaders in the synagogue, the leaders in the city, a mob coming against Paul, hating Paul, hating his, his teaching, hating his followers, persecuting them to the point of death. Like the Thessalonians, their mindset was already, we are enduring persecution. Like, like the persecution thing is, is, is a side issue. The thing that we want is we want to see Jesus appear. We want to, we want the hope of his coming. We want to see it coming. We want to understand what we're looking for so that we can anchor ourselves in the hope of the parousia, the appearing of Jesus. We will set our anchor in that great hope. So it's not about it's getting away from persecution or going like, oh no, I have, uh, what we have to die for Jesus? What Jesus will ask us to die? Like like those all those questions are settled for the Thessalonians. They are settled. Every one of them is abounding in faith and love so much so that like it's a joy to lay down your life for Jesus. I, we get this strange Western American idea that like, oh yeah, they used to die for Jesus and stuff. That was really unfortunate for them. But thank God now that we're in a different age that uh, Jesus doesn't, you know, he's not into that anymore. We, we, he mostly just wants us to be happy and comfortable and mostly not thinking about him most of the time. That's, that's Jesus's thing now. That is a bastardized version of Christianity that you just, everyone just needs to get rid of and go like, hey, we're going to go ahead and stick with the Bible on this one. We're going to go ahead and stick with the word of God on that one. So I just want to encourage uh, everyone out there. Sorry, I, I get a little fired up here and there. But um, Paul's point is this. You're going to see it coming. You're going to understand what's happening. It's not going to overtake you. Why? Because God has destined you for salvation. And he's at work in you to gather you into his barn so that you can be with him. Whether you're awake or whether you sleep, you don't know when you're going to live or die. You could wake up dead tonight, go to sleep dead, wake, go to sleep alive, wake up dead. Your life is in his hands. There is no reason to fear. There is no reason to fear. There is reason to align yourself with the Bible though. There is a reason to get rid of things that aren't biblical in our lives and seek Jesus entirely. So I've gone way too long on uh, episode one of season two here, but I feel like maybe you guys got something out of this. Hopefully some of these lister- listeners here. And I, like I said, I may circle the wagons and, and come back to this at some point, but I just wanted to address First Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, um, verses 1 through 11. 
Um, and, and Paul's takeaway is this. Um, and so just to, just to kind of give just a takeaway from, from this whole uh, session here. Um, let's see. Looking through my notes. To, that we would stay awake and be sober. That we would see it coming. That we would understand that the labor pains will come suddenly and seize upon an unsuspecting world, but that we would see it coming. Paul calls upon us to be awake and ready and to have anchor our hope in the appearing of Jesus, to be united with him. So Paul tells us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing. It's, it's the call of Paul to rejoice in this great salvation that we have in Jesus. A salvation that we have not just today, but forever. So if you don't know Jesus for yourself, and you feel like the Holy Spirit is calling you, and you feel like you want to be a Christian, you want to follow Jesus, it's as simple as a, as a prayer. It's as simple as coming to him in faith, asking, repenting of sin, turning away from the world, forsaking all and turning to Jesus with all your heart. And maybe, and maybe you're in a place where you've been compromising. Maybe you're in addictions. Maybe you've got all sorts of stuff going on that you wish you didn't. Maybe you feel like your world, your life has gotten out of control. It is time for you to repent. If you're a lukewarm Christian, it's time to repent. The days are growing short. Jesus is appearing, is approaching. Forsake all follow Jesus. I'm here to tell you we need to be watching, we need to be praying and proclaiming the gospel in these days. So I hope you're blessed by what you hear today and uh, look forward to the next episode. God bless you and uh, see you next time. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.